you, Don. Uh, well, we continue with our week two of our three-week series, uh, working through the book of James. And so uh, when we get done with the book of James, just so you know, uh, we'll be heading into the book of Judges. And so I've been excited about that for a long time, been waiting to get back into the Old Testament. Um, some of y'all know me. And... Uh, We'll hunker down in that for a while, but today we're week two of the uh, book of James, and so I want to give you just a little review of what we talked about last week. We asked four questions. I'll just give you those questions and answers really quick. First of all, we said who wrote the book of James, because there's another James in the Gospels, the brother of Andrew. This is not the James who wrote the book of James. The guy who wrote the book of James is the brother of the Lord Jesus, uh, who did not believe in Jesus, who did not believe he was the Messiah until after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. That's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I think verse 7. Don't quote me on that. Uh, secondly was when was it written? When was the letter written? Well, we said it was written between 45 and 46 A.D. And the reason we're thinking that is because the Council of Jerusalem met in 47 A.D. to decide uh, what to do about these Gentile people who were coming into Christianity and whether or not they had to uh, observe the, the letters of the law and all these sorts of things. And so none of the decisions from the Council of Jerusalem are mentioned in James's letter uh, and James was the head of that council of Jerusalem. He headed that thing up, and so he doesn't mention it, so we think it was written just prior to uh, that council. Number three, we asked, to whom was this letter written? Well, James says, James chapter 1 and verse 1, I'm writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, so he's referring there to Jewish people. He goes on to, to refer to these Jewish people as his brothers, as his sisters in Christ. So these are Jewish people who have come to faith in Christ, who have converted, if you would, to Christianity. And finally, number four, why does James write this letter? Well, we saw last week that James is concerned with these Jewish Christians who are ignoring the poverty of their brothers and sisters in Christ, who have got potty mouths, who are doing all sorts of things, living in sort of ways that are inconsistent with somebody who has given their life to Christ. And so as a result of that, James says over and over again in this letter, I know you're not doing what Jesus told you to do, so do that. He says, I know you're not living how Jesus told you to live, so live Jesus' way. And so he's saying here that if you refuse to, be, to be, be obedient to biblical morality, then we hear James question whether or not these Jewish Christians really are Christians at all. He's saying you may profess Jesus, you may have faith in Jesus, you may agree that he's Messiah, but that doesn't mean that you have saving faith. And so that is the contention that James has as he moves through this letter. He says that your faith without any kind of works to prove it is dead. Um, so that's where we left things last week. That's a big picture of what James is dealing with, that faith without deeds to prove it is dead. Now James goes on to give several for instances throughout this letter of several examples uh, that indeed a person has saving faith. And one of those, for instances, one of the the proofs, if you would, of a person who has saving faith is that they have a tamed tongue. Right? That's, a, that's a tongue twister right there. A tamed tongue. And so that's what we want to talk about today. So let's stand together. We're going to be reading James chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Again, we stand each week out of respect and honor for God's word, but also to declare in our families, in our homes, in our own mind, that this is where truth comes from, that although there's lots of other voices out there, there's lots of other sources of truth speaking into our life, speaking into our worldview, that what God said is what is the final word, that it's our primary source of truth, and that when any of those other sources disagree with what's in God's word, then we go with what's in God's word. So let's read together James chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. 
The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. You may be seated. Thank you. I just want to walk through these verses this morning uh, that James shares here. Verse 6, he begins, he says, The tongue is a fire, that it is a world of evil. So if there's any question whether or not James, in context, is talking about, hey, look, if you don't have a tame tongue, then that's a proof that you don't have saving faith. I mean, here he is saying right here, hey, look, this is where an untamed tongue will get you. Um, it's, it's evidence that you don't have saving faith. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. That is, somebody put a bridle on them. Somebody put a bit in their mouth. Somebody was able to tame these animals, he says, but, verse 8, and it was a difficult thing to do, but, verse 8, he says, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And then there's almost a question mark here. He says, and with that same tongue we curse men. So on one side we're praising the Father, and then we walk out of church, uh, hit Monday morning at work, and we're cursing men. And James is saying, this, this doesn't. there's no, not a consistency here. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come both praise to God and cursing my brothers he says this should not be have you ever heard someone talking negatively about another person they're just ripping them up they're just tearing them to pieces and then they'll say something like this i only say this because i love them you ever hear somebody say something like that well i wouldn't say this if i didn't really love them that's the reason why i'm saying these things yeah right I've met Christians who celebrate that they don't go around cussing, that they don't say nasty words, that they don't tell dirty jokes, and yet those same people slaughter others with their words. And James says to us, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this should not be. Now, why is talking negatively, why is uh, tearing up somebody else verbally, why is that so bad? I mean, what's so horrible about it? Well, i got three reasons why it's so bad. Uh, and these come straight out of the scriptures. Number one is because it causes strife between people. Proverbs 22 and ver- 26 and verse 20 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. And without gossip, a quarrel dies down. You mark it down. At work, at church, in your family, if there's strife, if there's conflict, if there's people fussing with one another, at the bottom of that, at the root of that, is somebody out there who has got a slanderous mouth. Somebody who's stirring things up behind the scenes that you don't see or aren't aware of, who's feeding that, those feelings of disharmony, um, and that's what's at the root of all of that friction. Number two, a second reason that it's bad is because it poisons a person's heart toward other people. Proverbs 18 and verse 8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. 
they go down into a man's inmost parts. Listen, we may slander somebody and then walk away and never remember it like five seconds later, much less a couple of weeks later or a couple of years later. However, the person who hears that slander, the scripture says, will likely never forget it. We'll always have a slanted view of the person that we were talking about, of the person that we were uh, saying bad things about. Uh, There are two victims when somebody gets slandered. One, the person that got slandered. And then secondly, the person that heard the slander, that now has a warped view or opinion of that other person. And I know that there are still negative things uh, that I remember about people, things that were said to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago that I still remember. But I'm sure that the person who said it forgot it long ago, decades ago. But it still lives inside of me. It's poisoned in my mind about how I think about that other person because of what somebody said to me about them. Finally, number three, why is this kind of talking bad? Because James teaches that there are eternal consequences tied to it. James chapter 2 and verse 26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In other words, James is using a slanderous tongue as an example, as a proof that this person does not have saving faith. His point being, if somebody's walking around just ripping other people all the time, then that's a proof that this person doesn't have a changed heart that they don't have a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because James's opinion is, his, his thinking is, coming from the scriptures here, is that a person who walks around ripping other people, if that's inconsistent with a real and personal relationship with Jesus. He says there's no evidence of a changed heart. That person may claim Jesus, but that doesn't mean that Jesus claimed them. That is the message of the book of James. Um, And this shouldn't surprise us. It's the consistent teaching of the New Testament writers. Jesus said that there will be many who will arrive at heaven's narrow gate and who will say, hey, I I knew you, Jesus. I professed you. I I did all the things I was supposed to do. I jumped through all the religious hoops that I was supposed to. Jesus, I sang songs to you. And Jesus will turn to that person, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. He said, and I I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. There are eternal consequences tied to um, our speech. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, says, we know that we have come to know Jesus. We know that we have come to know Jesus. We know that we have saving faith, a faith that's going to lead us to heaven, to having eternal life, if, he says, if we obey his commands. We know that we have saving faith if we obey his commands. Not obeying his commands, there's definitely some doubt. And that's what James is trying to broadcast. He's trying to say, hey, look, for those of you that are just living however you want to live and just doing whatever you want to do and ignoring biblical morality, James is bringing into question whether or not that person really has saving faith. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, we read this last week, He said a church that's uh, basically filled with people, or the church in Corinth was a church of people who were filled with folks that professed the name of Jesus, and then they were hanging out in the red light district of town. And uh, Paul says to these people who are in church every Sunday morning but hanging out on Saturday night on the red light district, he says to them, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether or not 
Because, again, these are professing Christians, people who claim the name of Christ. He says, but hey, look, you need to examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourself, he says. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Just because you claim the name of Christ doesn't mean that you have saving faith. Again, that is the consistent teaching throughout all of the New Testament. It's a warning to us to examine our heart, to examine ourselves, to see if what we really have, what we think is a real and personal relationship with Jesus, really is a real and personal relationship with him. James gives us here in James chapter 3 one of the testing tools that Paul shares. He says, what kind of a mouth do you have? Do you have a slanderous mouth? Or do you have a mouth that demonstrates some kind of life change? I think it's appropriate at this point to stop and say that if you are at all concerned in hearing what James is sharing here, if it causes your heart to skip a beat and causes you to question and wonder whether or not, if I look at the proof of my life, whether or not I really have saving faith, whether or not there's evidence of a changed heart in me, friends, I would encourage you to do some self-examination, to be honest before the Lord and say, God, I know maybe I've professed your name before, but has there been evidence of a changed heart, a changed life in me? And so we'll give you an opportunity here in just a little while to pray and to make that right with the Lord, make sure that you're right in your relationship with him. Okay, well, let's summarize what we've talked about so far. We asked, why is talking negatively and backbiting so bad? Number one, because it causes conflict between people. Number two, it's, the second reason it's bad is because it poisons a person's heart toward other people. And number three, why is it bad? Because there are eternal consequences here at stake. James is concerned with the validation of our salvation. Just because we profess Jesus, James says, hey, look, there's going to be a lot of people, Jesus himself said, that get to heaven. And Jesus says, hey, look, I never knew you. There's no evidence of a changed heart and a changed life in you. Okay, well, that's our treatment of this passage, which means it's time for us to ask our most important question. We ask this every week. What difference does this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, I appreciate what you're sharing up there this morning. I agree that we all have a problem with this, but how can we do better? How can we do better in this area of my life? How can I get better control over uh, my mouth and over the things that come out of it? What difference does any of this make to me? Well, I got three uh, things from the Bible that I want to share with you on how you can do a better in this area of your life. My first suggestion is, number one, to ask the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. just want to do a little doctrinal teaching here for a second. We've got the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three in one eternally. God has no beginning. God has no end. Uh, Jesus didn't come to be in the womb of Mary. He's part of the Godhead. He's always been. Um, and so here we're turning to the Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit is the part of the Godhead that now dwells in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. Do you not know that your body is the temple? Remember the temple is where God dwelt in the Old Testament days. That your body is now that temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. And so as believers in Christ, as people who have looked to him for our salvation, the Holy Spirit has now entered into our physical bodies. 
And our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we can ask the Holy Spirit here, number one, to help us purify and change our hearts. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. He said, out of the overflow of the what? Out of the overflow of the the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus is saying the stuff that comes out of our mouth is actually bubbling up from what's deep down on the inside of us. The stuff that spills out that people hear began, originated down in the inside of us. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the reason why you and I slander people with our mouths is because we are already slandering first in our hearts. That's what Jesus is saying. That what comes out of your mouth is just the overflow. It's just the symptom. It's what's in our hearts about people that is the real disease. The real disease, friends, is what's inside of us. And what comes out is just just the result of that, the fruit of that. And so my suggestion is that we ask the Holy Spirit to purify how we are thinking about certain people. And perhaps this is something we really need help with uh, because there are certain people that are just all up in our crawl. And I mean, they just are all up in our business and they dominate our thoughts. They don't let us sleep well at night. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help change our hearts about the way we feel about those people. Um, Believe me, friends, if our hearts were more pure, our mouths will follow. Amen? Number two, my second suggestion is to simply talk less. Did y'all hear that? (laughs) James says, James chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to talk. He said we should be quick to say what we think. He said we should be quick to respond on Facebook. He said we should be quick, he said, to listen and slow to speak. Proverbs 10 and verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. It's there. But he who holds his tongue, that is a wise man. That is a wise lady. Um, I've never regretted. I have never regretted things I didn't say. But I sure have regretted some of the things I did say. Um, I was sitting at lunch yesterday afternoon. There's a, a, a have across the street from, or across the table from me. A guy that was, you know, he had some uh, positional authority and power. He, he kind of a, a what, you know, anyway. And then the guy next to me, same thing. I was down at Petrie City at some thing I had to go do. And so then there was, there was some other people at the table, and I, I was getting to know the guy across the table from me. I'd never met him before. He's from up in Kentucky, so we had, some, we had that in common. He was a Wildcat fan, wherever Keith is. Yeah, there you go. Um, we got one Wildcat fan in the room. Just wanted to point that out. Um, in any case, uh, so... I was talking to him, and I realized as I was talking that the rest of the table was kind of quiet, and my conversation with this guy, although it was good conversation, was really dominating what was happening at the table at at lunch. And all of a sudden, item number two of my sermon popped in my head, said, talk less. And so I just was like, okay. And so I just sat back. And then after a few moments of silence, I guess everybody kind of 
felt like they needed to say something. So then conversation kind of picked up around the table, and then everybody was included in that sort of thing. And so, you know, case in point there. I didn't say anything I regretted, but at the same time, I was talking so much that nobody else would have the chance to talk with this guy or interact with one another. Talk less. You've been in these conversations. You know they start out okay. Everybody's having a good time. Conversation goes along. And then somebody says something, and it's like, ooh, boy, ouch. And said that. And it's kind of like, sorry, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Donald Trump at a press conference. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's just say it. Uh, you can vote however you want to vote. I don't have a problem with it. But in any case, you know, I just want to tell the guy, just talk less. Be quiet sooner. Listen more. Take the words of the scripture to advice. Just talk less. Listen more. Finally, my third suggestion is, I wasn't sure if I should share that about politics or not, but anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. Finally, my third suggestion is to decide that with God's help, we are going to only say those things that honor God and build up other people. That we're only going to say those things that honor God and build up other people. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You say, well, I don't cuss. Well, that's good. I'm glad you don't. You shouldn't. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, uh, but it goes on to say, but only what is helpful for building others up. See, the unwholesomeness that Paul's talking about here is the unwholesome talk of tearing other people down of saying things about other folks that are, are, are tearing them apart. Um, we should make a deliberate goal that every conversation we walk away from, every conversation we leave behind us, that we leave harmony, that we leave peace, that we leave unity, uh, and that takes a real deliberate act on our part. I don't know if you knew this or not, but former president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, a godly Christian man, um, before he became president of the United States, he was president of Princeton University. And uh, he tells a story one day of sitting in a barbershop there in Princeton and uh, the usual banter going on in the, in the barbershop and um, people using some profanity and stuff like that. And this guy walks into the barbershop and he sat down in the chair right next to Woodrow Wilson and the barber began to cut his hair. Here's what Woodrow Wilson has to say about that uh, fellow. He said, he sat in the chair next to me, and every word he uttered showed a personal and vital interest in the man who was serving him, referring to the barber. After that man left, so he got up out of his barber chair, haircut was done, walked out. Wilson writes, I lingered in the barber shop and observed the effect that that man's words had made upon the barber. Wilson said the men in the shop began to talk more quietly and in undertones. They did not know the man's name, but they knew that his words had elevated their thoughts. And as I left the barber shop that day, I felt as though I was leaving a place of worship. End quote. The man who walked into the barber shop and sat down and caused the conversation in the barber shop to be elevated was an evangelist by the name of Dwight L. Moody. The thing you need to know about Moody is when he was a young man and came to Christ, he made a commitment to God that everything out of his mouth would be used to glorify the Lord. And that was his commitment. 
Now, I've got to tell you that God really convicted me on this this past week. Maybe I'm just studied this for myself. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't need this. But the Lord really laid it on me this week that way too often I allow my mouth to say things that dishonor God, that tear people down, that destroy other people, and that this is just evil. It's just sin. It's just plain wrong. And so I've recommitted myself to changing this, to trying to say those things that only build other people up, that promotes harmony and unity among people, and to try to say those things that bring hope to people and that point people toward God and toward his love for them. That's the commitment that Moody made, to not allow our mouth to say things that do the opposite of that. And so in light of what God has said from his word to you today from James, I want to invite you, friends, to join me, to commit that the words that come out of your mouth are going to be used not to tear others down, but to build others up and to glorify God. To say, Lord, my mouth is my worst enemy, and I want to do what Moody did. I want to make a commitment with your help, Lord, from this day on to use my mouth to glorify God. So number one, how do we do this? Ask the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you, if you're a believer, for his help to change your heart because out of your heart come the things of your mouth. Number two, talk less. Be quiet sooner. Say what you've got to say. Move on. And number three, make a commitment that you are only going to use your mouth to build others up and to glorify God. Let's pray together. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to speak. You've given us this form of communication, a way to build others up through our words, a way to proclaim your eternal truth, that there is no other way but through Jesus. Lord, oftentimes, though, left to our own devices, this organ, our mouth, can be used for purposes for which you never designed it. So Lord, we ask you this morning to forgive us. We ask you this morning to help us to see that the things that come out of our mouth that are not pleasing to you are just plain sin, that it's evil. That's wrong. May we commit to you afresh and anew this day that our words will be used to honor you, to grow your church, to build up others, to glorify you. Lord, clean up the way we talk and start with our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.